If you would, I'd ask you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 5. As we continue our studies in the Gospel of John, we'll be this morning in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 24, and we will read down through verse 30. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 24. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, these are the words of Jesus speaking, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, as we consider these words of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning, we will consider them under two main headings. First of all, the Son of God gives life. Secondly, our bodies will be raised. The Son of God gives life, and our bodies will be raised. Now, the, the words that we've just read obviously continue the flow of argument that Jesus was making against the Jews who were seeking to kill him. They were seeking to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. He called God his Father, and they rightly understood that in that, making that claim, he was making himself equal with God. And so they're seeking to kill him for that. And we saw a couple weeks ago how Jesus had spoken of how the Father had given all judgment to the Son and how the Son gives life to whom He wishes. And here then, in verses 24 through 30, Jesus continues expounding these same things, the giving of life and the coming of judgment. And again, here He proclaims that He is the one who gives life and that He is the one who Will judge. And so let's look at these words then and see what Jesus has to say about this life that he gives. Now, he had said earlier up in verse 21 that the Son gives life to whom he wishes. And then here in verses 24 and 25, he elaborates on this a little bit more fully. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now in these words, Jesus explains how he gives life to people. Now earlier in the chapter we had seen that he gives life to whom he wishes, but here we see how he does it. How does he do it? He does it by speaking. He speaks and the dead hear his voice. And those who hear begin to live. They pass out of the realm of death and into the realm of life. They receive spiritual life and have passed into the realm of eternal life. And as such, they do not come into judgment. 
Now, what is Jesus talking about here? We have to read verses 24 and 25 carefully and then compare them with what he says down in verses 28 and 29. So if you look ahead down to verses 28 and 29, you can see that what Jesus is describing there is what we call the the general resurrection, the, the physical bodily resurrection of all mankind, the just and the unjust alike, at the end of the age when Christ returns. And the way that Jesus describes the general resurrection in verses 28 and 29 should make our minds go back to those first few verses of Daniel 12, which we uh, read together this morning as Ray read from Daniel 12 for us. Now, obviously, the words used here in John and those used in Daniel are different, expressed in different ways, but it is undoubtedly the same event which Daniel is describing in Daniel 12 and which Jesus is describing here in John 5. Now then, having established that verses 28 and 29 is speaking about the resurrection of the body, notice in the way that Jesus distinguishes between this coming physical resurrection, verses 28 and 29, and the coming of life that he describes there in verse 25. His description of the physical resurrection in verse 28 is completely in the future. He says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, in which all who are in the tombs, those who are buried, will hear his voice. This is completely future. An hour is coming. There's a future time when this will happen. But if you look to verse 25, you'll notice there that Jesus describes something that starts now. He says an hour is coming, and now is. It's, it's coming, but it's already here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And so concerning this new life in verses 24 and 25, it's something that starts now. He's speaking here of a, of a spiritual resurrection, a spiritual rebirth. He's speaking of being born again. And this happens, he says, when those who are dead hear his word and believe God. And when that happens, those who had been dead receive eternal life. They pass out of the condition of spiritual death and into the condition of spiritual life. Those who had been subject to judgment before are now no longer subject to it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now before we speak about the teaching of these verses concerning the way in which this spiritual life is bestowed, we need to notice what is clearly and undeniably implied in verses 24 and 25. What Jesus assumes and implies here is that those who hear and believe were already dead, right? He says, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Before they heard it and believed it, they were dead. And since verses 24 and 25 are speaking about the giving of spiritual life, then it is clear that it is spiritual death to which Jesus is referring when he says that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What Jesus is telling us here is that those who hear his word and believe God were spiritually dead prior to hearing and believing. And this is the condition of the human race apart from Christ. We're spiritually dead. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are dead to God. When God created mankind, Adam and Eve, male and female, in the Garden of Eden, He created them to live in intimate fellowship and communion with Him, loving Him, trusting Him, obeying Him, worshiping Him, to have such a relationship with God and to respond to Him in faithful obedience is to have spiritual life. And God created mankind to have such a relationship with Him. Something happened and interfered with this good design of God. Something came into the world, in other words, that disrupted this fellowship 
between God and man. And thus it is that Jesus speaks of those who hear him and believe God as passing out of death and into life. clear implication then is that this state of spiritual death is the default position of the human race. And the only way out is by hearing Christ's word and believing him who sent Christ, believing God the Father. This is the only way out of death. Now how did, how did the human race get here? Why is the natural condition the default position of the human race, spiritual death? God created us to have spiritual life in this intimate fellowship with Him. How did we end up in such a position where this default position is is death rather than life? We ended up here because of the sin of our first parents. God told Adam that he was to keep and to cultivate the garden. He was allowed to eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And from that tree the Lord forbid Adam to eat, saying as we read in Genesis 2.17, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And you know the story. Eve was tempted by the serpent to eat the fruit. And the serpent told her that she would not surely die. God said you'll die, and the serpent says you won't die. She believed the serpent. She thought that the fruit of the tree was good for food, delightful to the eyes, and pleasing to make one wise. And so she ate. She gave also to her husband, Adam, and he also ate. And, what do you know, their bodies did not die. Their bodies continued to live. But their relationship with God was severed. They died spiritually that day. And what evidence do we have of this? There in the text of Genesis. Well, when Adam and Eve heard that the Lord was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, after they had eaten the fruit, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They were ashamed stand before the Lord. Prior to this, they had fellowship with God as they were intended to have. And now that peace and that fellowship had been interrupted. They knew it. They went into hiding. And then came the curse, Genesis 3. The Lord cursed Satan, promised that one day the seed of the woman would crush his head. The Lord cursed the woman, multiplying her pains in childbirth. The Lord cursed the man by cursing the ground, causing it to bear thorns and thistles and cursing his work. The work that God gave Adam originally was good, but now that work suffers under the curse. So the Lord said to Adam, Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden and cut off from the tree of life. It was the sin of Adam that severed the human relationship with God and therefore plunged the human race into spiritual death. And this spiritual death then opened the door to physical death and to eternal death in hell as well. And this has its effect on all of us because all of us here, all people in the world, are descended from Adam. We hear the words of Romans 5.12 that therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men... Because all sinned. Likewise, Romans 5.15, By the transgression of the one, the many died. This is our situation, that Adam's sin plunged us all into sin. Adam was representing us as a federal covenant head, and his sin is therefore imputed to us covenantally. And likewise, we were at that time in the loins of our ancestor. We read in Genesis 5.3, in that description of the birth of Seth, that Adam became the father of a son in his own likeness. According to his image. And by that time, 
Adam was fallen. He was a fallen man who gave birth to a fallen son, therefore propagating a fallen race. As the canons of Dort expressed it, man after the fall begat children in his own likeness. A corrupt stock produced a corrupt offspring. Hence all the posterity of Adam, Christ only accepted, have derived corruption from their original parent by the propagation of a vicious nature in consequence of the just judgment of God. That's us. Human nature is itself vicious. For something to be vicious is to mean that it is malicious. We're malicious toward God by nature. We're malicious toward one another by nature. By nature, we are, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 3, children of wrath. In other words, by nature, we hate both God and our neighbors. And that's the truth that explains so much of life in the world as we know it. That sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, because the wages of sin is death. Death spread to all because all sinned in Adam. All those conceived and born by natural means are conceived and born as sinners. And so David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51.4 And then, as we grow up, being born sinners, we commit acts of sin. We do those things which are not proper. To borrow the words of Romans 1, we're filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Now how much of human history can be summed up in those words? How much of current events can be summed up in those words? How much of my personal history can be summed up in those words? How much of your personal history can be summed up in those words? And though we know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, we ourselves do those things and give approval to others who do them. Whether we like it or not, we are implicated in the sin of Adam. Original sin is passed down to us. We're born with physical life, but with spiritual death in our hearts. And that's why the world is the way that it is today. It's because men and women have been cut off from the life of God due to sin. Isn't that the way that Paul speaks of it in Ephesians four seventeen through 19, when he said that the Gentiles walk in such a way that they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. He says they're excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance, because of their hardness of heart. And the result then is that they give themselves over to wickedness. There's a lot of bad news there. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to save sinners such as this. He came to save sinners such as us. And notice here in our text in John 5 how Jesus does this. He says, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. An hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Christ brings life through his word. He speaks and those who hear and believe have eternal life. Those who hear his words in the gospel and believe it pass from life to death. 
His voice will raise dead bodies on the last day, but it also raises dead souls, dead hearts, even now. And so if you're here this morning and you want eternal life, listen to the words of Jesus. If you want to pass out of death, pass out of judgment and enter into life, then listen to Jesus and believe the truth of God. Our Lord is not physically present here with us any longer. But he speaks through his word. Our Lord speaks when his true gospel is proclaimed. And your only hope of getting out of the spiritual death in which you are and entering into new life and eternal life is to listen to the voice of Jesus Christ as he speaks in his gospel and to believe God the Father who sent him. This is the only way out of judgment. This is the only way to eternal life. And the good news is that this eternal life, this new spiritual life, is yours for the asking. As our Lord would say later on in this gospel, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And if you're here this morning and you have so much as the desire to pass from death to life, then Jesus bids you to come to him in faith. If you want eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and the release from the judgment that is rightly coming to you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, offers you Forgiveness, release from judgment, new life this morning as you hear his word read and proclaimed. And so listen to Christ. Hear his word. Believe him when he says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Listen to Christ when he says, follow me. Listen to Christ when he says that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Listen to Christ when he said, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen to Christ when he says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. Hear his word. Believe the truth of God that Jesus proclaims and submit yourself to him in true repentance and faith. Hear his word and believe God now and you will pass out of judgment and out of death, into new life, life with Christ. Repent and believe. Now as Jesus continues speaking here in John 5, he tells us why he is able to give life. Look at verse 26. He says, For as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. This is how our Lord Jesus Christ is able to give life to dead sinners. Because he has life in himself. One writer, William Beveridge, commented helpfully on verse 26 when he said that to have life in himself is an essential property of the divine nature. And therefore, wheresoever that is given or communicated, the divine nature itself has to have been given and communicated also. In other words, the Son received from the Father this property or this attribute, this having of life in Himself. He received it from the Father, and, and in receiving it, He received this essential attribute of the divine nature. And wherever this attribute of the divine nature is communicated, that means also that the divine nature itself is communicated. And Beveridge went on and helpfully said, Now we see here how God the Father communicated his essential property, and so his essence, his nature to the Son. And by consequence, though he be a distinct person from himself, 
yet he has the same unbegotten essence with him. And therefore, as the Father has life in himself, so has the Son life in himself, and so all other essential properties of the divine nature, only with this personal distinction, that the Father has this life in himself, and not from the Son, but from himself, whereas the Son has it not from himself, but from the Father. Or to say it otherwise, the Father is God of himself, and not of the Son. The Son is the same God, but from the Father, and not from himself." And so what Jesus seems to be getting at here is the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son, what the theologians call the eternal generation of the Son, that God the Father has been the eternal Father of the Son and that the Son has been the Son from all eternity of God the Father, that the Father and the Son are equal, as Jesus had just said. The Jews thought that he was making himself equal with God, and Jesus followed up and said, yeah, you got it. That's what I'm saying, that all must honor the Son as they honor the Father. There is one God. The Father is God and the Son is God, and yet they are distinct persons. The Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son. Rather, the Father is of none, and the Son is begotten of the Father. The divine nature is the same in the Father and the Son, which is to say that they are one God. And yet the nature is communicated from the Father to the Son, such that the person of the Son is said to be begotten. And this begottenness or this generation is eternal. God the Father never was without His only begotten Son. So they are one in essence, one in being, and yet distinct as persons. One writer put it commenting on this verse, said that both the Father and the Son have the same life. Both have it in themselves, both in the same degree as the one so the other, but only with this difference. The Father from all eternity gives it, and the Son from all eternity receives it. This is what the Nicene Creed was getting at when it rightly said that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Now these are very deep waters for sure, deeper than any of us here actually know. But Jesus' point is that he has this life in himself, and therefore he can impart life to those who are spiritually dead. Only God can do something like that. And Jesus can do it because he is God, because he does what the Father does. But Jesus doesn't stop with that. He continues on in the very next verse, verse 27, explaining why the Father has given him particularly this authority to judge. He had touched on this earlier up in verse 22, and he said that all judgment has been given to the Son. And now here in verse 27, he explains why all judgment has been given to the Son. He says, the Father gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now this title, the Son of Man, is a very common title that Jesus uses to referred to himself. He's alluding back to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man there, who goes up to the Ancient of Days and receives glory in the kingdom. And in the incarnation, what happened was that the Son of God became the Son of Man. He is the person of the Holy Trinity who became man in order to save us. Therefore, as man, he knows our infirmities. He understands our condition. And thus, because the Son of God is both God and man, He's uniquely qualified not only to be our mediator, the one who reconciles us to God, but he's also uniquely qualified to be our judge. The Father has given him authority to execute this judgment because he is the Son of Man. And though judgment 
has been committed to him because he is the Son of Man. If you look down to verse 30, he makes it clear that he's not seeking his own will as a man. Inasmuch as he was a true man with a true human nature consisting of a body and soul, our Lord Jesus had a truly human will, just as all of us have a human will. That was part of his human nature. But the human will of Christ was always submissive to the will of the Father, which is to say that Christ's human will is always subject to the divine will. He came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father. He says the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And though our Lord had a human will, his human will is always submissive to the will of the Father, and he himself seeks nothing of his own initiative. He came to do the will of the Father, and he did, completely. And this is accomplished both in bringing salvation to the world and his first advent, and it will be accomplished in bringing judgment to the world at his second advent, on the last day when our bodies will be raised. And that brings us then to our second point, which is our bodies will be raised. Jesus tells us there in verses 28 and 29, after speaking of giving this spiritual life to people, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, as we've already seen, Jesus is speaking here about the, the general bodily resurrection at the end of the age when he returns to judge the living and the dead. When Jesus comes back, everyone in the tombs will hear his voice and will rise again physically from the grave. The burial of the body at death is not the end of the story. The soul lives on at death, either in the presence of God or under torment and The souls of the righteous and the unrighteous are both awaiting this day of resurrection. The day of resurrection is the day of Christ's return, the day of the Lord, as we find in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 23, where Paul says, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ's, at his coming. The resurrection happens at the return of Christ. And though in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul does not mention the resurrection of the wicked, Jesus does here in John 5, and we find the same thing in Daniel chapter 12. And thus there are two groups of people present on this day of resurrection. And thus, in a way, two different types of resurrection which will take place. Those who have done the evil rise to a resurrection of judgment, which is to say they rise to a resurrection in which they will eternally undergo the second death in the lake of fire. Those who have done the good rise to a resurrection of life, eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. Having life in himself, Jesus can call forth spiritual life and he can also raise those who are dead in sin to make them new creatures in him And just as he can do that and give spiritual life, he can also raise dead bodies. Now the Gospels show us a handful of times in which he did raise the dead to a renewed physical life here on this earth. But those resurrections that we see in the Gospels and that we see, uh, like say in, in the book of 2 Kings, are resurrections that are of a different order 
than that of which Jesus speaks here in verses 28 and 29. Now Lazarus and the others whom Jesus raised during his earthly ministry were raised to life only to die again. But when Christ was raised from the dead, he was raised incorruptible, never to die again. And we read his words, Revelation 1, 17 and 18, where he says, I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. Christ's physical body, therefore, is raised from the dead, never to die again. In other words, his soul and his body will always be united. And so it will be with all people, with everyone. Because everyone will be raised by Christ. All who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. And will come forth to an eternal existence in which their souls and bodies remain united forever. The thing is, though, is that there is one group for which this will be a resurrection of life. They will enter into the blessedness of eternity with God and the new heavens and the new earth. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more crying or death or pain for the first order of things will have passed away. But for others, theirs will be a resurrection of judgment. Their bodies will be raised and they will receive the just sentence for all of their wickedness. Their bodies receive life again only to be sentenced to the eternal second death where, as Jesus says, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, Mark 9:48. This is a stark and startling reality. There's a great difference here between the resurrection of those who did the good deeds and the resurrection of those who did the evil deeds. And the difference is eternal life versus eternal death. But if you look, if you look at the text, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say that those who are raised to a resurrection of life are raised to that resurrection because they did good works. There's nothing meritorious going on here in the case of those who are raised to life. Jesus simply is distinguishing between the two groups on the basis of their works. The judgment occurs according to their works. They are judged according to their deeds. But what we know from Scripture, such as Ephesians 2, 8-10, is that no one is saved by good works. Rather, we're saved in order to do good works. And so it is true to say that those who will be raised to a resurrection of life will be those who have done the good. But the only reason they have done the good is because they've received new life, new spiritual life in Christ. They've been forgiven and cleansed and justified, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then on the basis of the new life that they receive, they then walk in those good works which God prepared in advance for them to do. And Jesus is the one who does the judging. His voice brings the dead out of the tombs and he is the one who decides, who rises to a resurrection of life and who rises to a resurrection of judgment. And so where does, where does this leave us? It leaves us desperately dependent on Jesus Christ. He will be your judge one day, whether you like it or not. And what this means for you today is that you need to honor him Just as you would honor God the Father. That's what Jesus said in that text that we saw a couple weeks ago in verse 23. For not even uh, the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This means that we must honor the Son of God, just as we would honor God himself. To honor Christ 
means that we need to recognize that he is the Son of God, that he is the Son of Man, and we need to recognize all that that means with the respect that the, of the prerogatives that Jesus has, both in terms of giving life to, to dead sinners, and in terms of calling the dead out of their tombs, and in terms of judging on the last day. You need to recognize Jesus' equality with God the Father. You need to worship Jesus and obey Jesus because of it. You need to understand that any attempts to honor God are in vain if you don't honor Jesus Christ. You need to hear Jesus' word. You need to believe it and obey it because the one who hears his word and believes God the Father who sent him is the one who has eternal life and does not come into judgment. And if you're here this morning and you've never yet trusted in Christ, let today be the day. There's no time like the present. If not now, when? You've heard Jesus' word in an external and audible sense this morning. The question is, will you truly hear him? Will you truly, will you truly listen? Will you listen in the sense of believing him and obeying him and submitting to him and trusting him? I pray that you would. And now for those of you who have already heard his word and have believed God the Father who sent him, beloved, continue on. Keep on listening. Keep on by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, believing Jesus' word. And devote yourself to good works. The doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone should be in no way an impediment to good works, but rather it should be a spur that goads us on to good works. Having received the full and free and rich mercy of God, that should make us want to serve God all the more and offer our lives completely for His service. We are set free from our sins, given new life by His grace, and called to walk in good works. And those who are raised to a resurrection of life are those who are characterized by these good works. And so let's do them. Let's be known by them. Be characterized as those who have done the good. And thus participate in the resurrection of these righteous ones. All because of the grace, mercy of God given to us in Christ. That we've heard his word, that we believed him who sent him who sent Christ. And therefore have passed out of death and into this life. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for, for Christ and his amazing power. The life that he has in himself by which he both gives new spiritual life and by which he will call forth the dead on the last day. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us, that you would help us, that we would walk with you in all good works, that we would serve you. And, Father, we pray that you would, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage our hearts. And, Lord, we ask your, your blessing upon our time now as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.